Uh, we're we're going to be in Acts 18, uh, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> and uh, as per Ryan Delmore's instruction, he told me not to go easy on y'all. No, I'm kidding. It's not going to be anything crazy. Uh, all right. Let's see here. Acts 18. Um, and the video that Katie mentioned, gosh, I actually showed that to a coworker. He asked me what I did the night before, and I was like, oh, yeah, we filmed a video for our, like, children's ministry family. And he's like, oh, what's the video? And I was like, oh, here, I'll show you. So I got online, and I showed him. No preface. He had no idea what he was seeing, what he was seeing and it was a pretty awesomely awkward time. So <laughs> if you want to have a good laugh at someone else's expense, just film yourself behind a green screen imitating some Star Wars stuff and then show it to them without telling them what it is. Uh, okay, so um, I, get, I guess before, before we get into the text today, um, one, if, if this is your first time at Calvary, thanks for coming. Um, my name's Nick. I, I've been going here since, I think, 2003, 2004, uh, somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, and if this is your first time coming to church at all, and you've never been to a church, you have no idea what we do, thanks for being bold and stepping foot in a church, because I think that can be intimidating for us sometimes, so thanks for being here. Uh, so what, what we usually do, um, you kind of saw the singing part, uh, and we, so we do some worship at the beginning and the end of the service. Um, but in the middle, what we usually do is we go through books of the Bible or talk, talk about topics related to Christian faith, Jesus, etc. Um, and right now we've been going through this series in Acts, so it's part of the New Testament. It's kind of the story of the early church. Um, so we're going to be reading uh, a narrative, um, this, you know, a, a portion of uh, this, this, this guy called the Apostle Paul. Um, he was kind of the main character of the early church. Um, he was kind of the main pastor, evangelist, missionary. And so, so where we're at right now is um, uh, Paul's in the middle of his second missionary journey. And Brian talked through Paul's interaction with the Athenians. Uh, it's pretty cool, like awesome, awesome, awesome section of the text. If you want to check out Paul engaging some people and talking about, um, you know, the in a sense the gospel and how that compares to their their thought, their philosophy, their their religious beliefs. Um, so definitely check that out on the website if you want to get some updates on um, on the end of Acts 17. Uh, and then I think, I think it's worth talking about who Paul is. Uh, I think a lot of us might know who Paul was, but some of us might be like, who's this dude, Paul? Um, so in short, Paul was, uh, he was a rabbi. Um, he was a Jewish uh, priest, essentially. Um, he was a, a guy who was in charge of teaching the scriptures to people. And he, he was actually, so right after Jesus' crucifixion um, and resurrection, uh, at the beginning of Acts, if you read it, Paul's like the guy who's driving a lot of the persecution of the early church. And then he has this crazy experience where Jesus comes to him in, in, in this, this gnarly, weird, like kind of fantastic situation uh, while he's traveling and, and literally like blows his mind and, and reveals himself to him. And Paul's changed from then on. And from then on, he gets set on this trajectory to going around and traveling throughout the known world, well, not the known world at that time, uh, but the Roman Empire, pretty much, and talking about the gospel. And so, so that's where we are in that story. So 
longer preface. We're gonna do, we're gonna kind of go back and forth, back and forth between story and, and like what that means for us today. So I guess as, as we're talking about the information, just kind of keep in the perspective of like, okay, this is a story of the early church, but like, how does this apply to our, our day and age? Um, okay, so, so we're, we're looking at Paul as he gets to a city called Corinth. And before we read, uh, I want to share a story with y'all. So we can go to this first slide. Oh, shoot, I totally forgot. Oh, well, I think, actually, let's, let's go to that first picture, and then we'll go back and read. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so this is a familiar picture to some people in the room, specifically the Jones family right here. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, for people who don't know this is, uh, I guess raise your hand if you have no idea who this person is. That's awesome, because I'm about to tell you. Okay, so, so this guy's name is Jeff Swanson. And, uh, and I, I want to share a story about um, my kind of, I guess, my story of how I became a Christian. Because, yeah, definitely send that picture to Jeff. He, he made the cut this morning. <laughs> uh, and so, so I came to, to San Luis Obispo in 2002, um, came to Cal Poly. I grew up at, in the Catholic Church. So I had this idea about, you know, who God was. But I, I think if, if I had to assess, like, how I thought about who God was, it was basically, you know, there is a higher power. I believe that there's something out there, but that all different types of faiths, belief systems, etc., everything is, is valid. And, and it's all kind of, um, like, anybody heard that, um, uh, the illustration of, um, you know, there's, like, five blind people. They're looking at an elephant, and they're touching it, and they're saying, like, oh, you know, like, an elephant is flappy because one person, you know, has a hold of its ears, and then, one person's like, oh, it's like rough and, you know, like scratchy because it's touching its, you know, side or something like that. And it's basically they all are looking at the same thing, but from different perspectives. Um, so so that, that's how I, I think I thought about faith is that, you know, everybody was kind of talking about the same thing in a different way. Um, so, so I joined a fraternity freshman year, um, had, a, had a pretty stereotypical, if you can fill in the blank there, um, first year of fraternity life. And then uh, fall quarter, um, this guy joined our fraternity, and his name was Jeff Swanson. And Jeff was a, uh, I think he was a couple years older than I was, um, loved Jesus, and he joined our fraternity um, because he wanted to bring the gospel to our group. So, so Jeff and I are hanging out at our fraternity booth during, during rush week, and we're just chatting, talking about stuff. It's a super beautiful day in, in September. And, and he asked me, he's just like, so, you know, did you grow up going to church? And so I tell him my story, like, yeah, I went to, you know, 12 years of Catholic school, you know, I was baptized, confirmed, et cetera. And, and then he's like, well, so what do you believe about God? And, and so I told him, you know, like, here's what I believe, et cetera. And, he, and I remember he asked me this question. I'll, I'll never forget it. And he, he asked me, he's like, so do you, do you, like, are you confident that you're going to heaven? And I remember stopping and thinking, like, oh, my gosh. I, I, I have no idea. I, like, if I, I am for sure, for sure, for sure going to heaven. And, and that was like, wow. Like, I, I have, I, I, I don't know. I, I really have no bearing. You know, I believe in this, this, you know, this, this afterlife. I believe that there's something out there that's good, um, 
I can tell you about what I thought heaven was, but that we, if you have questions, I can talk about that after. It was really weird. <laughs> but, uh, but that really stuck with me. And then, and then I was like, I don't, I don't know. And, and Jeff told me, he was like, I'm 100% confident that I'm going to heaven. And I was like, I, my, I, I didn't express it in words, but in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, like how are you that confident about your salvation? And it wasn't this, this offensive, like, well, how can you be confident when I'm not confident? But it was this, like, this curious, like, who, who can have that level of confidence in their salvation? Fast forward a couple months after that, um, I, I came to know the Lord at a worship service. And Jeff, I, I remember calling him the next day. I was like, dude, you'll never guess what just happened. Like, I had this crazy experience, and I want to talk to you about it. And Jeff was like, man, we've been praying for you for, like, the last few months. And Jeff discipled me for the next year after that. And the re- reason I want to share this story is because it is such a good picture of a guy who loved Jesus, who stepped into a crazy environment that had no, like, religious, I mean, there, there was religion there. But it was a very, it was a very anti-Jesus place in so many ways. And he did it because he was so passionate about people coming to know Jesus. And, and I, I'm, I'm standing here today. I mean, I, I come to church every Sunday, well, the Sundays that we're here. I, I, I love Jesus. Um, and and, and I, I look back at Jeff and I'm like, man, God worked through his faithfulness um, to, to impact my life in a way that, that set me on a trajectory um, and I'll never be the same. And, and so that, that's, a, that's a, a picture that happened you know, back in 2003. Um, but this story that we're reading today uh, from, from Acts, from you know, first century AD, uh, or yeah, you know, 50, 60 AD, to, to be exact. Uh, th- this, is, this is a story of what Paul is doing. He's, he's doing the same exact thing. Um, in so many ways that Jeff did. He's, he loves Jesus, heart, heart, soul, mind, spirit, everything he's got, and he's taking a chance. He's going to a community, and he's spending time so that, and hope, hopefully, some people will recognize the value and the worth of Jesus. So, so that's where we're stepping in the story. Y- y- y'all ready to read this? Sound good? All right, all right, here we go. Um, so we're gonna, we'll start on uh, verse one. The, the verses are up there. Uh, if, if you didn't get one of the six Bibles and need one, verses are up there. So, uh, so here we go. Oh, my gosh. And just before, I'm going to put these puppies on. My right eye is pretty good, but my left eye is not. So this is going to help me not squint the entire time. So here we go. Right? Uh, okay. Acts 18. Um, so after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that, G, or that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, 
he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Eustace, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. P.S., that's one of my favorite verses. It's like, Paul's like, all right, I'm just going to go right next door. I think that's super cool. <laughs> all right, ver- ver- verse 8. Uh, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to, to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And Paul, he, and he stayed there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. All right, let's pray, and then we'll talk about this. Uh, God, thank you for... Um, God, just thanks for, thanks for your word. Uh, God, thank you that we get to have a place where we can chew on the, the way that you have reshaped and, and told us the, the, the truth about reality, God. Uh, thank you that, um, that you are the one who knows all truth, and thank you that um, God, you, uh, you love us, and you know that um, we are people who don't see everything perfectly. God, that we're, um, we're flawed, God, and we're in need of you to work in our hearts and our lives uh, and our minds to, to show us um, uh, the worth of, of who you are, Jesus. And so, um, yeah, God, pray that you do something in this today. Pray that... Um, we would see you as beautiful through what you have to, to tell us today, God. Um, and, uh, and Lord, I pray that um, you would, uh, God, yeah, just change us today. Um, and pray that you do something uh, unique in us. Um, and so, God, yeah, I just pray for your blessing upon our time. Uh, thank you uh, for everyone here. Um, we'll lift this up to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, okay, so... Uh, Gosh, we're kind of jumping around the slides, but I guess back to that first slide. So the, the, the theme for today is uh, gospel ministry and culture. Um, and so, so we're really looking at, like, what does it look like for us to be people in, you know, the, the 21st century today as Christians who, who, are, who have been impacted or who are looking into uh, a message that is thousands of years old but that's still, for every generation, and it's, it's so interesting to see the, the history of people interacting with this message because um, it's, it's, it's beautiful, it's, it's divisive, it's life-changing, it's, it's nation-shaping. It's, it's, it's so insane to see how this message, the message of the gospel, has impacted all generations, every generation of humanity, and for us, as people who are alive today, who are in this room, um, part, part, part of our, our, our work is, is how, do we, how do we take this? What, what does it mean for our lives? How do we, how do, how do we, uh, how do we recognize the worth of, of what the gospel is? And, and if we're passionate about sharing that with other people, what does that look like for us? How, how do we translate this, 
this content, this, these, these realities, this revelation from God um, to, to today in, in a way that connects, in a way that translates. Um, and so, so we're going to look at uh, a, couple, a couple different themes. So one is gospel ministry and work, um, gospel ministry and some cultural tensions uh, related to this topic of salvation. And then we're going to look at uh, gospel um, and the, uh, the assurance that we have from, from the Lord. Um, so that's kind of our, our, our uh, itinerary today. And we're going to see if we can get through it um, before, before our time runs out. Uh, okay, so, so, so the, fir- the first part of, of Acts 18 talks about Paul getting to Corinth. Um, so, so Corinth was, uh, I mean, kind of think of it like a San Francisco in a sense, right? Um, it was a port city. It was one of the most prominent cities within the Roman Empire. Um, definitely, like, the center of trade within Achaia, which was, like, the, the region of, of Greece that, that the city was in. Um, uh, around Paul's time, this, the city probably would have had around 700,000 people in it. So we're talking a big city. Uh, it, it, interestingly enough, uh, there, there's this, the, the Greek phrase, to live like a Corinthian, um, I'm not going to try to pronounce it in Greek because it'll just sound really weird, um, but it was actually a term that was used to, to talk about living immorally back in the day. Um, so when, when people would say live like a Corinthian, um, it, that, that what they were talking about was, was living like a crazy, um, uh, you know, sort of licentious life. So uh, so, so all that to say is um, the city of Corinth was, was a major uh, touch point for Paul's ministry. Um, one, because it was such a center of culture. Um, and two, uh, I think Paul recognized that he's like, wow, this is a city um, that, that there's, there's a, a place for the gospel here, right? Um, and, and I think just looking at Paul's missionary journey as it is and seeing the work that he does in cities... Um, you know, I think sometimes we think of San Luis, it's like, you know, there's a small town, it's not really this, this kind of cultural, culture-shaping place. Uh, oh, sorry? Oh, yeah, sorry, I, I think I heard Cal Poly. Um, <laughs> and and I, I think that's such a great point, because um, university centers of learning are, so, I, so just to share a quick story, um, uh, I, I played music uh, for a long time um, in college and then post-college. And every time we would travel, we would always have people show up to our shows who were just like, oh my gosh, I saw you in San Luis, and then I moved to Washington, uh, to Seattle, for work, and I'm so stoked you guys are here. And to us, it was like, oh my gosh, like, this is such a pipeline for people who are traveling all over the world. Um, and so, so the point being is that c- cities are such a, a, a great and amazing place for dialoguing and discussing and, and talking about the gospel and talking about Jesus uh, and, and impacting people. Um, th- like, this is definitely a place where people are sent out. And I think that's how Paul is seeing this. Like, this is, this is a place where, where people are going to hear the gospel and then travel to other places. Um, so Paul rolls into town, and he meets this couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And it's funny, it went... 
when I was thinking about Priscilla and Aquila, and you know, I, I, over the years I've heard a lot about them through different you know, Bible studies, et cetera, but I definitely picture Vic, or Vicky and Gunther in my mind. I don't know why I don't know why that happens, but it's like it, like if you look at if you look at scripture, Priscilla and Aquila are like this. They're like the most famous couple in the New Testament, right? Um, and 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 it's really interesting that you know they're mentioned six times throughout scripture, and and every time, it's always it's always uh, Paul talking about how he was served by them, not his ministry to them. And I think what, what I get from that is just how much this couple invested in the church. And like over 16 years in over three cities, you know, Corinth, Ephesus, and Rome, uh, Priscilla and Aquila supported Paul in his ministry. They were, and, and they had this amazing, thriving uh, house church that, that they were a part of. Um, and, and, and the reason why I want to I look at this, um, and we can go to that, the, the first kind of topic slide talking about gospel ministry and work, is that the reason why Paul connected with them is Paul rolled into town, he's just like, I, I, need, to support, I need to make a living. Like, I need to, I need to make some money. And, and Paul was a tent maker by trade. Um, so for, for rabbis, uh, something that they would often do is they were encouraged to learn a trade so that if they went to a town, they wouldn't be dependent on people. They could join the workforce and not be a burden to a community. Um, and so Paul, Paul's, you know, it was like if you were a pastor in, I don't know, uh, a contractor or something like that. Um, you know, it, it was a way that Paul could support himself while being able to, you know, do, do his ministry, et cetera. And so Paul had this awesome skill. And so he finds Priscilla and Aquila. They were probably Christians at this time. Um, that, that Paul met him. But the, the connection point was their trade, right? Paul's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, here's some Christians that, that are in the same trade as I am. I'm going to join with them. And, and what I think is, is so cool about uh, Priscilla and Aquila's story is that you never hear them talking about, you know, they have this thriving ministry, but you never hear them talking about saying like, okay, we need to not be tent makers anymore, right? That, that's, that's never mentioned. It's, it, and, and I think, you know, as, as people, as commentators look at who they were and how they traveled, um, they had this thriving tent-making business that allowed them to go to these different places and support Paul, right? And so the reason why I want to talk about this is how many people have a day job in this room? Right? Maybe raise your hand super high and so we can just all look around. We all work Right, and and we have this weird concept sometimes within our our like our you know current community within the church that work is 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 separate from ministry, or that work is secondary to um, uh, ministry within the church, or that work is something that is separate from my life as as a Christian, right? And and what what I what I'm seeing here is that. Work was was so integral to Aquila and Priscilla's ability not to just support the mission of the gospel, um, but and this is me speculating, but I think they connected with so many different people through their work, right? Um, so so sometimes we view work as this barrier to our ministry potential for some reason or another, um, but but I think w- one thing that I, I I really want to put a finger on 
is that your workplace is this incredible platform for ministry, right? Um, so I, I started working at Cal Poly um, in October, um, and, and and before that, I, I was I was working mostly here at church, and and I remember uh, and you know so having staff meetings, you know, in, in this building where people are praying for each other. It's it, you know this rich uh, environment of 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 you know, investment in your faith, of discipleship, et cetera. Um, but leaving that and going to, to Cal Poly, it was like, wow, like, we don't pray before meetings. And I, you know, can't say, like, oh, man, can I pray through this business this, or, you know, this decision? Or, like, um, you know, I don't have people approaching me, like, hey, man, I just wanted to encourage you with this. Or, you know, like, let's, let's go to this, this training for, you know, pastors and ministry leaders. Um, it was none of that. But... What God has done through that experience so far in my life is shown me so much about how people think and who people are and what people care about that are outside of a Christian worldview. And that right there is is one of the greatest gifts I think God can give anybody who's passionate about the gospel because the work... (laughs) Work is, oh gosh, it's interesting how we, we, can, we can just get so siloed in our work and think of it like, you know, I'm going to punch the clock at nine, I'm going to punch the clock at five, and I'm going to do my job, I'm going to get my paycheck, and then outside of that, with my family, with my small group, with, at, you know, church on Sundays, at coffee before or after that, that's when my faith gets exercised, um, but what, what, I, what I think is, is incredibly powerful is when people who love Jesus see their work as a, as, as a place where they're learning about how, how to share the gospel with other people. You're never going to get a better picture into a community that God's called you to um, than, than being attentive and being open and asking questions, inviting people to, to, to share their beliefs. Um, through your work, right? Those are people that are paid to be around you. Think about that for a sec. That's weird to think about, but like they have to be there. <laughs> so, so, so a lot to say is I, you know, um, there, th- this verse from Romans ten really, really stuck out to me in thinking about this. And and this is what Paul is saying. He says, "How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard?" Um, and how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As, is, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If, if you work, you, you've been called. And if you, uh, let me rephrase this. If, if you're a Christian and you love Jesus and you work a job, you've been called by Jesus through grace, to be in that place for a purpose, right? Um, don't overlook that. Um, and, and I think, you know, doing that, that, that introspection of, do I think about the, the most obvious expression of my faith as taking place now, you know, on Sundays within these walls or, you know, within, uh, you know, a study outside during the week? If that is the prime expression of your faith, think about the percentage of your week 
You know, that's, that's a small, minute portion of your whole life, right? And, and, and your time at work is, is this amazing stage that God's given every one of us to, to be students and, and to contribute um, how God's impacted us, what he's shown us about who he is, what the gospel is, etc. Are you, are you all tracking with that? Um, so, so think about that. Think about that. Because I, I think a big gap in, in us demonstrating and living out the gospel, you know, but in telling people about who Jesus is and what he's done and how, you know, the gospel reframes how we see the, the world is because we don't see our work as a place where our faith fits in. Um, so there's a lot there. Um, and, and again, there might be a lot of questions that you all have or want to process. So we can do that after the service. Um, and then there's also a lot of people uh, within this room who would love to chop that up. Um, there's some studies that we've done in the past, too, that talk about work and faith. Um, but we're going to leave it there uh, for now, um, just so we can move on. Uh, OK, so um, so I think, I think we'll just finish with, with this section uh, for time's sake. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about gospel ministry and cultural tensions. So, so the next section of the story is, is talking about Silas and Timothy, two of Paul's ministry buddies. They roll into town, and I think this is a few months after Paul's been in Corinth. So they roll into town, and where we pick up the story is, is Paul is in the synagogue reasoning and dialoguing with the Jews about and, and, and trying to show them that Jesus was or is the Messiah, right? And... Um, and, and the Jews, you know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting that uh, the way that Scripture talks about that, it says that they opposed and reviled him. And revile is, I mean, I had to look that word up because I was like, I don't know what that is. Uh, but, but, but I think when, when we see the description of revile, I think to me it, it starts to make sense why Paul responded the way he did. Um, so reviling is to, like, insultingly criticize somebody. Um, in, in premarital counseling, I remember part of conflict resolution that Vicki and Gunther went through was, was giving up put-downs, right? And, and I think we all, you know, when you're in a relationship with somebody, you, you know, you, whether it's a friend, family, et cetera, you know what gets them, right? And, and so when, when I think about this, I, I think about the Jews were like, all right, gloves are coming off. We, like... What you're saying is extremely offensive to us. Um, and, and Paul says this kind of weird, he, he says, your blood be on your own heads. He says that emphatically. And then he says, I am innocent. And, and we're like, okay, what, wh- why did Paul say that? And what, what he's actually talking about is he's, he's referencing a part of Isaiah. And, and God is, is painting this picture for, or, or no, I'm sorry, it's not Isaiah, it's Ezekiel. God's painting this picture for Ezekiel um, and, and, and telling him about his, his role as a prophet. And, and the, the picture that he paints for him is a watchman on a city wall seeing an oncoming army coming at him. And, and, and to paraphrase the passage, this is in Isaiah 33 if you want to check it out. But, but he says... Uh, uh, but God, God tells Ezekiel, he says, you know, if the watchman sees the army come in and he sounds the warning, warning trumpet, but then the people don't do anything, like, 
the consequences are on, the, on their end, right? Like the watchman did his job. He was faithful to say, to pass on you know, the warning, to pass on the information. But then, but then God continues you know, the, the description. He says, but if the watchman sees the army and he doesn't do anything, then, then what happens to the city is on him, right? And that, gosh, I mean, I, I think we can all see where God's going in terms of like the, the, the weight that comes with um, revelation, with, that comes with, with God's invitation for us to be part of, of sharing his gospel, right? Um, that that th- there's, there's a, a weight of eternity mixed up in this. And, and so Paul is saying to the Jews, hey, I was faithful to, to pass on revelation about Jesus, that he actually was the Messiah, and, and, and now, you know, that it's in your court. If you want to reject it, okay, like, but, but I've done my job and um, what God has called me to do. And, and so from that, I, I think the question is, why was that super offensive to the Jews, right? Why, why did that prick such this, this evoking of emotion from the Jews? And it really draws back to Paul saying that Jesus was the Messiah, Right? And so for Jews, the idea of the Messiah was that, um, and there's all this, you know, Old Testament uh, um, touch points that are talking about this guy that's going to come back at some point and, and restore the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Israel. And so, you know, picture yourself as, as a Jew who's within, you know, like Roman occupation and thinking about the Messiah, it's like, this is the guy that is going to establish us forever, right? And we're going to be, you know, this nation that's safe and strong and, and protected. And this is the guy that's going to do it. And Paul comes in and says, like, no, 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 no. Like, and from the Jews' perspective, I would assume that they're hearing Paul saying, remember that rabbi that you heard about who the Romans crucified? He actually got brought back to life, and he was actually the son of God, and he was actually the, the Messiah, and he's not restoring the kingdom of Israel in the way that you think he is, but he actually has died and risen so that we can all be forgiven of our sins. He died for our, our salvation. And, 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 and through this, he's starting a brand new thing that includes all of humanity. I mean, that is such a departure from the Jews' idea of what the Messiah was. And, and I think this is what was so offensive is that the gospel offended their understanding of this extremely important part of how they saw reality, right? And that, I think that, that theme translates absolutely to our day and age when it comes to salvation. Um, and I want to share a couple stories, uh, and then, and then we'll, we'll finish up. Um, so uh, I, I don't know if anybody saw, saw this you know, just, just talking about the, the topic of, of salvation today and why, why does that strike such a nerve for, for people? Um, so there was, a, there was this really interesting video uh, where uh, uh, Russell uh, Vaught, I think is the way his, his name is pronounced. Um, so he's the presidential nominee for the deputy director of the Office of Management and Budget. That's a great acronym right there, jeez. Um, but anyways, so, so Russell, in his, his hearing, um, uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, comes up to the mic, and, and 
and brings up, uh, so um, Vaught was a former professor at Wheaton, and while he was there, he engaged in this dialogue with, with somebody about you know, the differences between Islam and Christianity, and part of that was having to do with salvation, and that you know, he, and he expressed the you know, tradition, orthodox view of Christian salvation, that Jesus is the only means of salvation, right? And, and Sanders referenced that, that part of, of Vought's um, response in that dialogue years ago, and, and he identified it as like, this is a huge issue for somebody running for public office because this is, um, um, I, I'm not using his words specifically, but he, he saw that as offensive, um, as alienating to uh, a portion of, um, of Americans, as, and, and, and something that was not fit for, for public office. And, and point being is what I think behind Sanders' comments and his deep frustration is this idea, uh, is, is a deep conviction about what is, what is and what isn't good for human flourishing, right? What is, is good and what will lead to and what won't lead to unity and peace and, 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 uh, and, and, and uh, I guess, positive pro progression of culture. Um, he, he's looking at that and saying, like, this idea does not fit with the goal of a unified country that I see. And, and what Sanders is making is a statement about is, is, in part, his idea of salvation, right? What is going to bring wholeness? What is going to bring healing? What is going to bring peace? Um, uh, another example, I, I, was, um, uh, I was in this discussion post-election. Um, it was a roundtable discussion. And people were, uh, were talking about how they felt post-election. And, and I, I'll never forget... Um, there was a, uh, I'm not sure if she's a, a staff member or a professor at Cal Poly, but she said, I, I, I'm so troubled by this because I don't, like, I, if there's anything that can unify us, and then she's like, she was searching for something, and then she was like, be it science. Like, I just want something that is going to unify us and bring us all together. And when I heard her say that, I was like, wow, this, this is what is coming to mind when she thinks about how is our, our culture, our nation, that is, is divided now going to be brought together? And this is the idea of salvation. Is, 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 is when, when we think about Christian salvation, it is, it is God defining what it looks like for, for, for all of humanity, past, present, and future, to be made whole. And the way that that he that that you know, we see in scripture, the way that that happens, the way that that starts, the 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 focal point, the foundation of that, is Jesus. Um, and I'll, I think I think I'll end with this. Um, I won't have like five last points. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, but if if the worship team wants to to cruise up, um, I think I think we'll close with this. So uh, so N.T. Wright. He said this about Christianity, and I thought it was so good. He's like, if you think about Christianity as a house, um, Jesus is the front door. And, uh, oh gosh, I want to, oh, I think I had it on my other page. I'm sorry. Un momento. Oh, here we go. I just want to make sure I get the quote right. Uh, so he says, if Christianity is a big house, then Jesus is the front door. If you take him away, you're left with a lot of weird theories that may or may not make sense to people. 
And I thought that was so good when it comes to us trying to articulate salvation. Because I think to a lot of people, they hear Jesus is the only way, and they, they see that as offensive, as narrow-minded, as, uh, as, as oppressive. Um, and compared to if, if we didn't have that, that idea of salvation and that everybody um, you know, could, 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 could you know, be, you know, go to heaven or you know, et cetera, however you want to define what the, um, the, the result of sal- salvation is, kind of if we didn't have that, that thought about salvation, then, then things would be way better. Why, why does it have to be through Jesus? Um, and, and I think if we, if we just hear statements from, from Scripture talking about um, you know, for instance, you know, this is John three eighteen, uh, where Jesus says, whoever believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in me is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If we just hear statements about that, we, we can have a distorted picture of what God's actually trying to do. And, and I think, you know, uh, backing it up for, for a minute, and looking at the most, one of the most famous verses out of all of Scripture, John 3.16, is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in, in order that the world might be saved through him. And this is why I think it's so important to have this, this view when we're talking about salvation, because it says that, that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the motive for that was God's love, right? And, and so if we're hearing salvation from the Christian perspective, and we're hearing that as oppressive and, and regressive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but yet Scripture cl- clearly says that this whole act of Jesus coming into this world for the purpose of saving and uniting and bringing healing to this world is out of love, that's something that we have to wrestle with and realize that we're not seeing something. We're not seeing a connection. Um, so the, the gospel, in a sense, is you know, it, it, the, the, the pinnacle uh, of, I, I guess, Jesus' life um, and his death and his resurrection. That, that all explains the gospel, and there's so many different implications. But I think if we think about Jesus on the cross and, and his death and resurrection as the climax of that story, we see God giving up his life for his enemies so that they can have life. We see God giving up everything for those who have taken everything from him so that they can be blessed, so that they can be redeemed, so they can be restored. And that is the story of, of what Christians, what we trust in when we say that Jesus is the only way, because our faith is in Jesus as the only one who can actually bring that to fruition. Um, so let, let's, let's stand and, uh, and, and worship. Um, God, thank you, for, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have this, this, this story that you presented to us that is about you doing something that is maybe for some of us unfathomable and that you actually say, this is the way, I am the way to, to life, to, to healing, to peace. And, and so God, I pray that you bring us deeper into that story um, and that we would trust you 
that that is actually the path that you set towards life.